0: Hello, and welcome into episode 17. Wow, we made it that far. Episode 17 of the Stomp the Bus podcast. And uh, there's been some interesting stuff that's happened around ASU in the past seven or so days since I last spoke to all of y'all out there. Uh, ASU played a game, a game in which they did not allow a touchdown and they lost. They lost 15 to 14 to the Stanford Cardinal in Palo Alto in a game that was obviously tough to watch if you're a Sun Devil fan, but also a game that they shouldn't have lost. Let's be honest. Like they deserve to lose, right? Because if you only score 14 points in a college football game, in any college football game, you deserve to lose, even if you end up winning you know like you can't just you can't just oh 14 we're good no 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 maybe if you're playing Iowa this year but uh that's about it but anyway um 14 points scored in both in the first half you know two pretty good drive second drive of the game Valdez scores on a touchdown and then Jones throws a perfect pass to Badger uh, in the second quarter and you're up 14 to 6 at halftime and you know, I was thinking, hey, you, you got to score 30 in the second. You, I mean, you 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 got to get to 30 points to make sure you feel like you're good, you know, because teams come back all the time. Uh, and Stanford did come back. They scored three more times, but it was three more field goals. So they only ended up scoring 15 points. ASU's defense did a great job. Um, I thought the cornerbacks played really well. Bro Torrance was great. Jordan Clark was awesome. Even Ed, Ed Woods had a big sack at the end of the game that – uh, got ASU the ball back after so many failed drives in the second half. And that's where uh it's where you saw a lot of fans upset that Sean Aguano went with Emory Jones. Uh and it's and to me, it's not so much that he started Emory Jones. Because I can understand, I can see how Emory Jones uh could have proved himself in practice over Borgay uh following the Washington game. But what really the, – the the big mistake from Aguano here wasn't starting Jones, especially since Jones played fine in the first half. He wasn't – you know, clearly the offense was moving at least well on two drives, right? Uh, it's that he stuck with him for so long in the third quarter and into the fourth quarter. And, I, I, I mean, and by the end of the game and the last few possessions of the fourth quarter, it's like, okay, well, now you have to stay with Jones – because you're not, it's it would be dumb to just put in, you know, a cold Trenton Borgay, You know, hey, go go, lead us on a field goal drive. You know, and and unfortunately, one of the you know small details of this game is that Carter Brown, I think it was the second quarter. Let me check. Um, but he short kicked a 41 yard field goal that looked like it, it would it looked right down the middle. Yep, missed field goal. Uh, last possession ASU had in the first half. That would have put them up 17-6. And I think it's easy – I mean, that could have been the difference in the game right there, that kick. The problem is, though, I feel, I just feel like if A2 goes up 17-6 half and, at half and then just doesn't score for the rest of the second half, I feel like Stanford will would have figured something out. You know, Stanford calls its game a little differently if they're down 17-6 at half as opposed to being down 14-6. And if you're down – you know, 14-6, it's just one possession, so – just a really bad game, bad offensive game. <laughs> and, you know, they should have made the switch probably some point late in the third quarter to Borgay. Uh, and they didn't. And, I, you know, I think this, I, I think I said last podcast, if you were going to a bowl game at, AS, as, at ASU as a two and four team heading into this past game, you had to beat Stanford, right? Because you had to be at three and four right now heading into the Colorado game. And then, hey, you get, hey, you're four and four. All right, like let's see what happens down the rest rest of the season, you know. But you're 2 and 5. Um you have two home games left and one of them is against UCLA, which sure you could beat on a given, you know, given game, but you probably won't. You know, you probably pulled off your one upset of the year over Washington. So it seems very unlikely you win that game. Oregon State Uh, that, 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 that's more winnable, but the Beavers will still be favored in that game. And they're, even if ASU does win that game, Oregon State's a better team. So that's, that's tough. Going to Wazoo is always going to be tough, even if the Cougars are so, so this year. And then going to U of A is going to be tough because they're thinking, Hey, this is, this is our chance to beat him, you know? So, and to end uh, the five-year territorial cup run. So it's. You, you know, you're still capable of beating U of A, um, even if you lose to Stanford just because of how bad U of A's defense is. Um, but anyway, going too far, it, it basically, that, that loss just ended it. Like there's no, you you would really have to squint at the schedule and, oh, okay. So that means if you, like, if ASU goes to a bowl game, they would have to beat Colorado and then go three and one after that. It's just not from what I've seen from this team. And defense is playing better but Stanford's offense isn't exactly like super dynamic you know they had a lot of drops too they they, they did not particularly play that well uh they couldn't run the ball and some of that's due to ASU's defense but uh, you can't expect for like even if ASU's defense isn't is improving by the week you can't just expect them to hold teams to 15 points you know you're not they're not gonna hold UCLA to 15 points or Oregon State or probably not U of A either um so Anyway, it's just just a bad loss. I mean, especially literally you juxtapose it to when Jaden Daniels is beating Ole Miss, a top 10 Ole Miss team. I do think that Ole Miss team is a little overhyped, a little uh bad schedule got them there, but they were undefeated on you know CBS. Jaden Daniels was torching them. And you go over to the Stanford game and you're losing 15 to 14 and you can't score a second half point. Let alone a touchdown. Um, ASU did almost pull this one out at the end. On the last play of the game, Jones uh, threw deep to Elijah Badger, who made just an insane, twisting one-handed catch. I don't even—it's incredible that he caught it. Uh, And it was initially ruled in, but after replay, uh, his foot was out. So that's tough. Um, But I mean, they didn't deserve to win. You can't—you can't just rely on that you know, last play of the game to be like, Oh, you know, Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll pull this out at the end. It's like, no, like you should have had one, l- literally just even one field goal drive in the fourth quarter and you win the game, you know? So it's, it's a, it's a really tough game uh, if you were on the iguano train, cause it just, and I was kind of on the iguano train. I was on the, if you can win these next two games, then I'm much more on the iguano train, but now it's like, it's just, it, I just don't think it's going to happen, you know? And I, who, who knows? Because Iguano could wind up being a good college head coach somewhere. Uh, he interviewed for the Hawaii job this past off season. So like, I don't think it's just like, Oh, he's, this is his only chance. Maybe it's his only chance to ASU, but um, he's clearly a competent, capable coach. Just made a mistake in my opinion in this past game, but that's just how it is. Um, not the first coach to do it. won't be the last. So it's not like it's you know something totally egregious. But that probably ended it just because, um in in my you know opinion, not sourced at all, just my opinion, I feel like you have to get ASU to six and six uh, if you were guano. And I understand he, you know, he took over a team that was one and two, but you still have, you know, all of Pac-12 play to go five and four from that point on. And that seems extremely unlikely at this point. So um, again, I, I hope Iguano stays on staff. I really do because he's a good recruiter. He has connections, good, good running back coach. I mean, again, we've talked Colton. And I've talked about this at nauseum. but the running backs are like the best position on the team. Uh, you mostly saw that again on, uh, on Saturday, but the, the running game was just so much less effective in the second half because ASU uh, just kept, kept going back to it and they went back to it on some critical like third and sixes third and fives and got didn't work and i just that just annoys me as a fan is that specific running on third and five third and six against a average average at best average or above defense you know they're going to stop you and stanford's defense played a pretty good game i will say that like uh, the, you know, they held Notre Dame to 16 weeks the week before. And obviously Notre Dame has its issues and ASU has its issues. So obviously it's p- part of both, you know, both teams contribute to that as well. But, um, I think they're better than like Washington's defense or Arizona's defense, or, um, I'm, I'm not going to say our defense, cause our defense basically play just as well. So, but, uh, like they're better than some of like the worst, worst defenses in all college football, even though they're not like Georgia, but anyway, solid defense from Stanford and um, they didn't fall for our third and five runs up the gut. And that's kind of another reason that the game got a game. uh, The offense just couldn't handle the second half. Um, And it came out this week that Iguana was going to take over play calling. Um, He said after the game, he was going to be like very, very involved in the offense next week. And it gets announced that he's taking over play calling from, Glenn Thomas, and if you're Glenn Thomas, I hope you rented in Tempe this year and did not buy anything because I very much do not see how he ends up being on the staff as this season uh, concludes. And if you're Glenn Thomas, I mean, he was at UNLV last year. He's bounced around a lot. Um, I'm sure if you went into this job from afar, you probably knew what the deal very much could be, you know, like if you're taking the job, you probably don't know for sure that this ASU thing isn't going to work, but you're probably, you probably have a good expectation that, that very well could happen. And so that's what's happening. And we're two and five and the offense was awful in the, you know, in their last game. And so um, hopefully, you know, Glenn Thomas does well somewhere else, but I just don't see him sticking around here at all, especially, if ASU does the right thing and they just go with an offensive coach, um, then for, for, for their next coaching hire, then he wouldn't stay. And then honestly, I, I don't even know why I'm even specifying it. Like Glenn Thomas won't be here next year. You know, there'll be five more games we're watching of Glenn Thomas as the OC at ASU. So um, another announcement following that game is uh, we had an artificial quarterback controversy entering the game uh but Iguano stuck with Jones now we pretty much uh have a full on QB competition halfway through the season always a good time to have it uh you know not like not like most teams have established quarterbacks or anything we're just trying to figure it out here at ASU you know we've already played 7 games can figure it out so uh i anticipate it being Borgay this week against Colorado just I, I, I mean, Borg, Aguano uh, has done so many things kind of uh, to appease the fan base, right? He does the Sun Devil walk, does announces where he's recruit, what which games he's going to on Friday nights, announces, you know, having all these kids in for practice. And obviously he's on the good side of the Arizona coaches and having the team meetings where they don't even talk about football, which I think they should continue doing that. I think that's a good way to build the team and having like the bowling and, uh, sending kids home for not coming to practice on time and all this, like all this stuff that's instilling discipline and um, kind of cleaning up some of the mess left behind from the Herm Edwards tenure. But oh, I lost my train of thought. Gosh dang it. Um, oh, anyway, the reason why uh, this factors into the QB situation is basically everyone in the ASU fan base wants. Borgate to start, right? He's, uh, well, in the one game he's played, he's been better than any game Emory Jones has played this year. So there's that. And there's a, also a ton of people who like him because he's, you know, the walk-on Arizona kid. Uh, so it's, you know, you combine those two things and Emory Jones not playing well against Stanford. You know, if Emory Jones, honestly, if they had just had one touchdown drive in the second half, it would have been an ugly win, but it would have been a win, you know? <laughs> so uh, that if you know if he had just played average then we might not even I might not be having this conversation right now there wouldn't be a quarterback competition but he didn't and so this is you know we're back to square one having a QB competition and my gut tells me that Sean Aguano will go with Borgay uh cuz he might be the better quarterback but also to appease more of the Arizona fan base uh who you know most ASU fans want 4K to start for the reason that I just said. Um, And at this point, there's nothing to lose, right? So plus you're playing, I mean, you're playing the worst team left on your schedule at Colorado. It's going to be a road game. Always, you know, (laughs) as we've seen this year, ASU is not a very good road team at all. Um, But this should be their chance to win a road game because they're playing a very bad team. Uh, Colorado is not as bad as we thought they were going to be because they did, uh, upset Cal a few weeks ago, but last week they got killed by Oregon State on the road. And what you need to hope for an ASU fan, if you want them, well, you should want them to win. There's no tanking, you know, I get, I get not caring and being apathetic until, uh, the new coaches here. I understand that. But if you're actually, you know, rooting for the team and want them to win, um, you should hope that Colorado kind of mustered everything up for that Cal game. And okay, we got like we got our win in the first game with our interim coach and kind of similar to the UW game for us, like built up, you know, momentum. And you know, it was a close game too. You know, some things bounced their way and they were able to win. And, you know, that's great. Uh, if you're ASU you need to hope that that was their like their one moment you know the one time they all came together and they're all super motivated Uh, and after getting killed last week it's like all right let's just ride out the season if you're Colorado so um, a bad Colorado Colorado being bad might be more helpful than anything ASU could do um, on Saturday and another huge advantage ASU has in this game is its defense like ASU's corners are really good or at least pretty good and defensive line has kind of played better uh, recently. And, you know, Cal Soelli doing a good job at linebacker. I think he's going to finish with like, he's leading he's, I think he's like top five in the country in tackles or something, which is kind of an indictment of the ASU defense because he has to make so many tackles, but it's still impressive for him to be up that high, especially uh, in his last year here. So, um, you know, the defense is starting to, kind of click things together i think allowing 38 points to washington that doesn't look as bad like washington (laughs) washington's offense is really good i know they just scored uh 28 against cal but justin wilcox is a good defensive coach used to be at washington and i'm not gonna and and watch and cal is just more of a defensive program as well than even asu is so uh, that's kind of what I attribute to that. but I don't think a- I think ASU's defense is actually kind of starting to figure some things out. um definitely the more talented side of the ball, that's for sure. So anyway, that's probably probably enough of the uh, analysis for this team because look, I mean, they're just as a as a whole unit, they're not very good. you know, they're two and five speak you know record speaks for itself, but as individual players, um, they're interesting, you know. Elijah Badger had a fantastic game. I mean, he was making some incredible catches. Um, Bro Torrance, like I mentioned, he had a few pass breakups. Like he's just, he's just a matchup problem for these wide receivers, just because of because of his length. So those are two guys I'm really interested in watching as the rest of the year goes on, and especially with Badger, it'll be really interesting how the next coaching staff will they be able to keep him here. Or will he hit the portal, you know? Um, If it's an offensive guy, much more likely to keep him here. That just makes sense. Um, Anyway, moving on to maybe the most interesting topic is the Ray Anderson rumors that led to a Ray Anderson uh, news piece coming from Michael Crow. This kind of all went down on Tuesday, Uh, got got on Twitter Tuesday, and I just saw a a good amount of ASU fans kind of – sorry, itch my nose here. Good amount of ASU fans talking about Anderson, rumors of Anderson's uh, dismissal coming soon. And you also had a column from Chris Cartman on Sun Devil Source basically – Calling for his calling for him to go, which I agree with. I agree with pretty much everything in that column. I recommend everyone read it. Uh, also on Tuesday, there's a story from Hodorubino and Doubles Digest that's uh, titled "Randerson's Job on Tenuous Ground at ASU." So when you have these big local media figures writing things like this, there's a lot of smoke in the area of. Ray Anderson eventually leaving. Uh, There's been local podcasts, you know, all all sorts of local media uh, definitely didn't report Ray Anderson is getting fired today, but more so of eh, there's just rumors floating around, you know. Um, And I think people were kind of expecting something to happen on Tuesday, expecting for a tweet from Bruce Feldman saying ASU uh, VP of whatever his official title is ASU athletic director Ray Anderson has been dismissed from the school, yada, yada, yada. Um, but no, we got the opposite of that from Pete Thamel, the ESPN and the tweet reads quote, Arizona state president, Michael Crow tells ESPN that the school remains committed to athletic director Ray Anderson quote, Ray is our VP for university athletics. We are in the thick of moving. We are in the thick of making things work here and Ray is moving things forward. Um, End quote. Uh, The second tweet from Thamel talks about how Anderson is under contract through February 2026. But it also has a line at the end that Anderson himself isn't exactly super clear on what his role in the hiring process of the next coach will be. So that's very interesting that he had that uh, connected to his original tweet that Crow saying, Ray is our VP. So a lot of people... We're upset with that on Twitter saying, Oh, why are you keeping him? I had a different reaction. Oh, sorry. Um, I think the word of all the rumors of Ray eventually leaving got back to Michael Crow. And maybe it's a contractual reason, some some something, you know, with law and contracts. I don't don't ask me any specifics about it. But The reason why he could have sent that out is just to say, hey, like, we weren't, we weren't uh, planning to, like, planning to fire sooner than we were or, because the statement reads, quote, Ray is our VP for university athletics. And that's not like some ringing endorsement, in my opinion, you know, and we've seen these votes of confidences, you know, mean nothing two weeks from now or two weeks from when they were announced. I mean, Colorado, our opponent this weekend, uh, earlier this year in September, their AD, Rick George, said, we support Carl Durrell. Carl Durrell is our head coach, and then eventually Carl Durrell gets fired, you know? So <clears throat> I think if you're an ASU fan, it's it's going to be tough to believe when that Ray Anderson will be gone until he is actually gone, you know? I, and I understand that mindset, but I feel like there's just been too much smoke in terms of Ray Anderson leaving sooner than later than there is to like to, and uh, there's just too much smoke around his possible leaving, you know? And so that makes me think it's going to happen before, you know, the end of November when the next coach will likely be announced. You know, I, I think that, There's just, like I said, too much smoke. Um, If you have Devil's Digest and Sun Devil's Source, both writing fairly critical columns of Ray Anderson's tenure here, and they're both accurate, uh, and I recommend you guys read them both, um, because it's not like, you know, look, I get that there are some of the smaller sports doing well. You know, men's golf played for a national championship, but that doesn't matter to the majority of ASU fans, you know, football matters. Men's basketball matters. Women's basketball matters. And women's basketball, I would say, who who knows how Natasha Adair will do. Um, but I mean, it's not like, you know, Charlie Turner Thorne was there already when he got there. So men's basketball, I would, I would give him a C on that hire with Bobby. I, I still think that's an incomplete though, just because I think, um, I think this men's basketball team could be a tournament team this year. I think they have, uh, they're talented. They brought in a lot of good transfers, but anyway, uh, with football, I mean, it's just obviously a horrible hire to hire Herm Edwards, reeked of nepotism because it was literally his friend and former client, uh, someone who I don't want to say totally unqualified for the job because he wasn't totally unqualified, but he was, Not a, he was not a good enough choice for how out of the box he was. Let me put it that way. And obviously it led to the NCAA situation that we find ourselves in right now. And don't tell me that Herm didn't know anything because he definitely knew some things and he had a rented house in paradise Valley where he was bringing recruits at a time when he was specifically not supposed to do that. So he knew he's not a complete dummy. Um, as much as some ASU fans might think he is, he's smart enough to, you know, to be a head coach in multiple NFL teams. So he knew what was going on. I mean, he may not have do everything that was going on, but he knew enough of what was going on. So just, that's why it was a terrible hire from Ray. And that's why I think eventually he will be gone. Um, I, look, if, if, who, who knows what the future holds in terms of Ray, I just, just with so much smoke, I just feel like, it's not going to be very much longer. And the fact that, uh, you know, multiple reporters were at practice, uh, this would have been on on Tuesday, and they had to tweet out Ray Anderson is president at ASU football practice. So it's like, okay, why is that a big deal? Like, he's, he goes to ASU football practice a lot, I'd imagine. Uh, but for it to be news that he was there, to me, that shows that, like, okay, there's – there's a lot of smoke that eventually um there will be a new athletic director. And so that is good. Um, maybe, you know, maybe Crow's waiting for some final information from the NCAA to come and relieve we'll him due to that. Maybe it's some contract stuff. Um, I don't know what Ray Anderson's contract is, so that could be completely wrong for me, but um who knows. But I I I I want to wrap this all up with, I don't think that the Pete Thamel tweet means like Ray Anderson is going to be here for five more years and he's totally entrenched as the AD. I just think that Michael Crow opening it with Ray is our VP for university athletics. I just, I don't know. I just don't see that as a super firm commitment. So we'll see how that goes. And if Michael Crow really does want to keep Ray for a long time, um, Michael Crow is sixty-seven years old, and that means he's probably not going to be the president for ASU for like ten more years. You know, maybe he will, uh, but I just doubt that. So I guess in in the in the long term, there is some hope. <laughs> But I will admit if AS who kept Ray Anderson for a long time, that would just I just it seems just it seems like such a dumb move just because there are so many boosters literally who are withholding money until he's gone. So like he's not that valuable if an AD, hasn't done a good enough job. You're paying him like the second most for any AD. I mean, you know, I, I, I do give him give him credit on the um the facilitation of getting the hockey building built, the Mullen Arena. Like, I, I want to go to a game there, and I think ASU hockey becoming better is not primarily because of Ray Anderson or solely because of him, but a little bit. Like, he didn't get, get in their way, you know. Like, ASU hockey could be a very big deal um, if they become, like, a tournament team and they go to the Frozen Four a few times. You know, that'll that, that'll hook some people in. I, that'll hook some people. So I do give them credit for the hockey stuff, but that's not enough when football is underachieving and in an investigation, baseball is arguably the worst it's ever been. And this is a school that cares about baseball and men's basketball hasn't meaningfully improved. So we'll see what happens on that end. Um, I will leave this episode uh, with a final thought about the coaching search. Dion is still my number one, um, but that's just kind of feels like a pipe dream right now. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, he's still my number one. Matt Rule is not. I just don't think he's going to come here. But if he does coming, if he does wind up coming here, then perfect. Like I would be totally fine with that. Uh, and you know, I, we've talked about Jamie Chadwell, and we've talked about. Brent Brennan from San Jose State, a little bit. We've talked about um, well I've talked about on Twitter Tennessee offensive coordinator Alex Galesh. I would I would love Tennessee OC. Alex Galesh is the next ACU head coach because that offense works. It's basically the Baylor offense. So um wouldn't mind that, but the the name I just keep coming to is Kenny Dillingham. I mean, put put together a masterful game plan. Against UCLA on Saturday, just scheming guys wide open, which that's fantastic. If that, that shows that you're not just winning based off Oregon having really good players, you're getting them in wide open space. Um, he has Bo Nicks playing super confidently, using Bo Nicks very well too, not asking him to do things that he doesn't need to do. Um, and you know, running him a lot because he's a great athlete. Like, and he, he would also like take this job. Like I don't have any inside sourcing on that, but the guy's 32 years old. Do you really think he's going to turn down the, the ASU job? If even, even if they have a one-year bowl ban, I just don't think so. I, this dude coached at ASU or not coach um, was a GA and like an offensive assistant at ASU uh, under the Todd Graham era. So he's been here when it's been good because um, I think he was here for 2014, at least. So he's seen fairly high-level stuff here at ASU. Um, he's from here, played at Chaparral. He's co- I, I was looking him up today. He coached, he's been coaching in some form since he was 17 years old. And so you think, oh, he's only 32, but it's like, okay, well, he's been coaching almost half his life, right? Like, that's – that changes things. And a lot of these young guys have done well. Um, and look, he knows how to scheme up offense. And he's already, and he's clearly knows how to cook Pac-12 defenses. That's what Oregon's been doing this whole year. Even in the Wazoo game that they almost lost, they moved the ball really well and still scored 40 points. Like he knows what he's doing on offense, and he's also recruited. He's also he's he was the OC at Auburn. So he's recruited in the SEC in the South. He's been at Florida State that that's getting connections with high school coaches all over the place. He already has the, he already has some connections with them in Arizona just because he's been here. Um, but I mean, he's had stops at Memphis with Mike Norvell to obviously Auburn to Florida state. And now Oregon where the, you know, recruiting connections on the West side of the country as well. So like, there's just a lot, there's just a lot in there with Dillingham. Um, And I think, and he might be a guy that energizes the boosters as well. And that's very important too, in the age of NIL. So Dion is still my number one guy just because of all the hype he would bring the recruits that would come and a lot of the current players that would transfer in uh, and just because of how cool he can make ASU. Um, But Dillingham is definitely the more realistic option and he is probably my number two choice. So I will leave with that. Uh, Go Devils. Please don't lose another embarrassing game uh, in an embarrassing way against Colorado. And with that, I will head out. Thank you for listening.